For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then what? The scripture says they left the upper room. Matthew and Mark say, after him, we went out. Went out indeed. Went out. First to the crucifixion of Jesus a few hours later. Then to the resurrection three days later. And then the many appearances of Jesus. Over 11 of them, at least 11 of them to from one to 500 people at one time for the next 40 days. But that's not the end of the story. 10 days later, Pentecost. Today is Pentecost Sunday. 50 days, which is what Pentecost means, 50 days from the Passover to Pentecost, 50 days from the observance of the Lord's Supper to the pouring out of the Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost. The story goes on and on and on. If you have your Bible, turn to the first and second chapters of the book of Acts. If you'd like to use the Bible there in the book rack in front of you, turn to page 1077. We're 10 days now from Pentecost. 40 days of appearances, and then Jesus and his disciples go to the Mount of Olives. Sixth verse. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. That is about as succinct and clear a statement regarding the return of the Lord as can be made, and it is made by Jesus himself. I would never attribute to him being curt, but this is almost a curt statement. In other words, that is none of your business. That's God's business. It's not our timepiece. It's God's timepiece. It's not our calendar. It's God's calendar. And we don't know what that is. No speculation. No prediction. You don't know. Only God knows. But then he says, this is what you are to do. That's not to be your worry. Here's what you're to do. It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. Here's a great promise. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then here's the great purpose. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
a new promise. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me say a word about the Holy Spirit. So often it has been translated in the King James and others as Holy Ghost. Rather foreboding and I believe misrepresentation of what he really is. A better definition would be the Holy Guest of God. The Holy Guest. The Spirit of Jesus himself. The Spirit of him who laid down his life for the sins of the world. The Spirit of him who reached out with encompassing arms of love for anybody and everybody, irrespective of who they were or what they had done. Marvelous, incredible gift, the Spirit. You and I could not be Christians were it not for the work of the Spirit. We do not become Christians on our own. It's not something that we just decide. It's a response we make to the initiative of the Spirit of God. He comes to you through parents or friends, or the reading of the Bible, or events in life, or something you hear in a sermon, or a song, or hear on television, or read in a tract. The Spirit of God always comes to us. Think of this. The Holy Spirit comes to us even before we are converted because He is the agent of conversion. The Scripture says, Jesus said, and He, when He he has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. Our very cognizance of the fact that we need a Savior is something implanted and created within us by the presence of the Holy Spirit. You cannot become a Christian on your own. You become a Christian when you are born of the Spirit. Born of the Spirit. You must be born of the Spirit. And so here is Jesus saying, you will be, you will receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What does that mean? That means that God is going to do something unique and special through you. My spirit is within you because you have trusted me, but I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you and you're going to know the fullness of the spirit. And out of the fullness of the spirit, you're going to have a power that you have never known or experienced before. You will receive power After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you for salvation. No, for service. Service. A natural outgrowth of that new birth is to be filled with the Spirit. You can have water in a glass, but the glass not be full of water. You can have the Spirit of Christ in your heart, but not be full of the Spirit. The moment you accept Jesus Christ, His Spirit comes into your life. Then what He wants to do and desires to do, promises to do and will do, if we will allow allow Him, He will fill our lives with His Spirit and we will see marvelous things happen in our lives and through our lives out into the world around us. You will receive power. After the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They stood there wondering, well, my goodness, what do we do now? And the angels appeared to them and said, why are you standing around here looking up? Stop looking up. He's not coming back until he decides to come back. You can wait here for 2,000 years. Stop looking up. Start looking out to a world that needs you and start looking in to your own heart for the fullness of the Spirit of God within you. Why are you standing here? So they went back. And you know where they went? It says a Sabbath day's journey. 
They returned, the 12th verse of chapter 1, they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk. That's about three quarters of a mile. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And then it names all of the disciples who were there, all of the disciples. And it also says in the 14th verse, they all joined together. Listen to that wonderful word together. You'll hear it again. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women. Notice that the women were not excluded from this prayer meeting as they were in synagogue worship. The men and women did not pray together. They don't pray together today at the Western Wall. Women on one side, men on the other. Here you see Jesus Christ creating a whole new body, a whole new nation, a whole new family. And there are no second class citizens in the kingdom of God. The women were there. And the mother of Jesus, Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers, they were all in this prayer meeting together. And they prayed for a number of days. And then a new explosion of the Spirit of God. Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together. Which says, with one accord. They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Not just a cloud of fire over the whole group, but a fire that was there that broke up into individual pieces and came to fill every single individual person in that fellowship of believers with the Holy Spirit. An individual, personal filling of the Spirit of God. Tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We'll come back to that. I want to stop for a moment and underline two words, wind and fire. Wind and fire. The sequel to bread and wine for the church in the next 2,000 or 3,000 or 5,000 years, however long it will be before he returns. The sequel, we celebrate the past, bread and wine. We celebrate the cross and resurrection, bread and wine. But the sequel to that, to this event, is wind, pneuma, spirit, fire, wind, and fire. You remember well, I'm sure, the conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus. Jesus said, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. He said, well, what? You know, of course, I can't go back into my mother's womb and be born again. No, of course you cannot. I know that. Just making a point here. You need to be born of the Spirit. How will I know this? The wind blows, Nicodemus. We do not know where it comes from. and We do not, do not know where it goes. But you can see its evidences. The leaves move. Feel the freshness across your perspiring face. Listen to the wind, Nicodemus. I want to ask myself and you today to listen for the wind. 
For God has promised however inadequately we may preach, however fallible we may be, He has promised to be present when His word is proclaimed. And I want you to listen for the wind of the Spirit to blow across your heart this morning. Be sensitive to it because He is present. Wherever His Word is preached, His Spirit is present. Listen to the wind refreshing your spirit, renewing you, relaxing you in the promises of God that you are His. Wind. Listen to the wind and fire. There's nothing that attracts a crowd like a fire. Fire often used in the scripture to symbolize the work of the Holy Spirit. A bush starts burning and is not consumed. And Moses stops in his tracks and God says, take off your shoes. Now go save my people. Fire. Jeremiah. That marvelous prophet, ridiculed, rejected, punished, imprisoned, discouraged, depressed at times, said, oh, I, sh- I should be relieved of this responsibility. I should no longer have to re- do this and preach this and try to help these people who don't want to be helped and try to teach people who don't want to be taught. But then he says, I can't stop because I have a fire. In my bones. Elijah that incomparable prophet on Mount Carmel. With the prophets of Baal present. Prayed with his head to the ground. He prayed. And the fire of God fell from heaven. And consumed the sacrifice on the altar. And defeated the prophets of Baal. The false gods of that day. Fire falling. Fire. John Wesley prayed. Oh God set me on fire. So that the people might come to see me burn for God. In the book of Hebrews, quoting a psalm, the 104th psalm, repeated in the book of Hebrews, first chapter. He makes his angels or messengers, that's the same word, he makes his angels or messengers winds and his servants flames a fire. Listen to Jesus' statement in the 49th verse of the 12th chapter of Luke. I have come to bring fire on the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. He's speaking prophetically there. He was speaking of what was going to happen on the day of Pentecost. I've come to bring fire on the earth. And on the day of Pentecost when they began after prayer and obedience to the word of God. They were all filled With the Spirit of God, the wind blew the pneumach of the Spirit of God and the fire fell and they were all filled with the Spirit of God just as Jesus predicted. Kindled within them a flame of fire. Well, it's part of our language, isn't it? It's part of our culture. You see it in athletics all the time. We heard it yesterday when the Spurs beat the Lakers. Like they're going to today. (laughs) 
Now, I'm no prophet, nor the son of a prophet, so don't, uh, but I expect that to happen. Who got on fire yesterday? Jackson got on fire yesterday. Duncan got on fire yesterday. Listen for how often in an athletic event you'll see somebody say, one of the announcers will say, man, they're on fire. It's part of our language. It's part of our understanding. You've been touched. You're on fire. And nothing attracts a crowd like a fire. Wind and fire. Now listen, we all know this. We live in South Texas. In the summer when a fire begins to burn in some pasture land somewhere or up in the hill country, what do those courageous people who go out to fight those fires, what do they pray for? They pray that the wind will not blow. But when God puts wind and fire together, you know what happens? The kingdom of God spreads like a wildfire like it did across the first century when thousands upon thousands of people came to know Christ as Savior and over 3,000 came to accept Him on that day of Pentecost. Wind and fire together, the power of God spreading out over all the earth like the wildfire of the Spirit of God reaching out to people. Reaching out. To a needy and lost world. Let me say a word about tongues. They all spoke in tongues. If you look into the first chapter of the book of, uh, I mean, excuse me, the second chapter of the book of Acts, they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It was not some personal concoction, it was not babbling, it was not incoherent speech, it was not unknown tongues. Please hear this not unknown tongues. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, sound of what? The wind blowing, the wind of the Spirit. A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. This was not incoherent speech. And I'll not take the time to read it because of the brevity of time that we have. But if you read through that paragraph, you will read that there were people there from all over the world, the then known world, because they were there for both the Passover and for Pentecost. And there were over 15 different languages spoken in that group. And every single one of the 15 heard Simon Peter's sermon and heard these early Christians in their own language. Now, whether it was a miracle of speaking or whether they were Galileans and they stood and spoke the, their native tongue, we do not know whether it was a gift of speaking or a gift of hearing. But either way, it was the work of the Spirit of God communicating His message to people irrespective of who was speaking. Now, you say that sounds strange. Well, it's, it's not as strange as it may seem. I've had the privilege of being in a number of different countries to preach and often to be there and have an interpreter. But I've also been in services in Japan and in Russia and in Eastern Europe and in other parts of the world where I could not speak their language and I'd hear a man preach. I did not understand. I could not understand technically the language that he was speaking. I could not understand exactly <coughs> excuse me, what he was saying. But I felt something inside of me. Because there was something inside of him that was communicating the wind and the fire of God. And I left there not having understood a single word 
from the standpoint of vocabulary, but I left there with a deeper understanding of the word, capital W. The power of God through his spirit to reach out and communicate. Now, if you have a feeling down inside of your heart right now, whether you've listened to anything I've said or not, or do listen to anything I say or not, I urge you to listen to the still, small voice of the Spirit of God speaking to you. For He is doing that. I'm not psychic. I don't know that because I know it. I know that because He promised that. Tongues. You know, every now and then I talk to people, quite often I talk to people and they see the spots that we do and uh, every now and then someone will say, well, you know, I love you, your spots. I go to this church. I go to the Catholic church uh, and I, I love those spots and I, I, I love Catholics. They're my, some of my dearest friends. In fact, last Monday night, I was invited to speak out at St. Vincent de Paul Catholic Church in a Bible study at uh, 7 o'clock on last Monday night. And uh, I thought there'd be 20 or 30 people there. Well, I got out there. And there were about 500 people there. And they wanted me to talk about how to interpret the Bible, how to read the Bible, and particularly how to, to understand the book of Luke and apply it to our lives. Spoke, they said, speak for at least 45 minutes. I did. They had questions for another 30 minutes. Wonderful. I had people come up and say, I, I go to this church, I go to that church, but I love what I hear you say. Every now and then I'll have someone say to me, say, you know, I, I go to an independent church. I say, well, you know what, I do too. Now, if you know anything at all about Baptists, you know they are independent. Some people wonder where the Baptist church began. I'll tell you where it began. It began with Abraham and Lot way back there in the ancient days when they had a little difference of opinion. And Abraham said to Lot, and Lot said to Abraham, you go your way and I'll go mine. That's Baptistic if I ever heard it. <laughs> this church, listen, this is an independent church. This is a self-governing, autonomous body of Christ. No denominational leader tells us what to preach what to teach, what to sing, what programs to have. We own this property. This church owns this property. We could all vote to sell it today and give all the money to missions. No denomination has any control over us. The only one we want to control us is Jesus Christ, the head of the church. So we're independent. Every now and then someone say, I go to a Bible church. I say, you know, it's funny. I do too. I go to a Bible church. I preach out of it every Sunday. Our Sunday school teachers teach it. Our choirs sing it. Our children memorize it. It's our textbook. This is the Bible church. And the day that it isn't, you can write Ichabod over the front door, which means God has departed. Someone will every now and then say, uh, I'm a Pentecostal. I'll say, you know what? I am too. I believe in Pentecost. I believe in the account in first and second chapters of the book of Acts that God came at Pentecost and gave birth to the church, a church filled with the wind of God and the fire of God that spread out all over the Roman Empire and changed the world and drug, pulled the rug out from underneath the Roman Empire. I believe in Pentecost and I pray we'll experience it again in the beginning of a new century and a new millennium. We need it. The world needs it. Desperately needed. You know where it'll begin? It'll begin with people like us if it begins. 
For judgment, the Bible says, begins at the house of God. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord. And we are the Lord's people and this is his house. And God wants to begin to bring new wind and new fire into our lives. I'm a Pentecostal. Someone will say occasionally, I'm a charismatic. I'll say, you know, that's interesting. I am too. You know what the word charismatic means? It doesn't mean speaking in unknown tongues. It doesn't mean a form of worship that may be a little different from what we're accustomed to. The word charismatic is a word of grace. In fact, the Greek word for grace is charis. Charismatic means somebody or some group of somebodies that practices and believes in the grace of God. And if there is one emphasis in this church, if there is one message in this church, if there is one proclamation in this church, it is that we are saved by grace alone, period. Therefore, we're charismatics. We believe in grace. We get divided over forms of worship sometimes, methods of worship, rather than the basic message of worship and the basic substance of worship, which is Jesus Christ himself. Now, I'd like to take a lot of time, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to give you the four points of Peter's sermon. In fact, it's interesting that they accused these folks, of, they were so happy and so joyful, these early Christians, that they accused them of being drunk. It's been a long time since most churches have been accused of being drunk because they were so full of joy and people said, oh, they're all drunk. I know some churches that have passed out, but I don't know a whole lot of them. Uh, and Simon Peter said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Obviously, Simon Peter, being a sailor, and we Marines understand the behavior of sailors, that's why we were part of the Navy to try to, try to recover some of their morality. Anyway, uh, Simon Peter was a sailor. And uh, in all probability, he knew the habits of a drinking man because when they were accused of being drunk at nine o'clock in the morning, Simon Peter said, who ever heard of a man getting drunk at nine o'clock in the morning? No, we're not drunk. We have new wine, new wine, wine that has the wind of God in it and the fire of God in it. And it's in us. And what you see is something that God himself is doing through us. And then Simon Peter stood up to preach. I think it's a marvelous indication of the grace of those early disciples that they would encourage Simon Peter to do the preaching on the day of Pentecost. The man who denied his Lord and the man who cursed his Lord. They said, Simon, you're the man. You preach. And he got up and he preached a magnificent sermon. You'll see it in the second chapter of the book of Acts. I wish you would read it because he goes back and quotes three long passages of scripture from the Hebrew Bible. It's based on scripture, and then he tells about his own experience. He talks about the Bible, the scripture, and he talks about experience, what's happened to him. And so his sermon was, number one, arresting. It got their attention. It got their attention. It was a sermon that was aware of the audience. Of the group. He was aware that there were multitudinous folks there, all speaking different languages, coming from different cultures. He was aware of who was there. He was a very sensitive man to the congregation, to the group of people to whom he was speaking. He also emphasized the necessity of a decision. He pled with them. 
Save yourselves, he said. Trust the Lord. He gave an invitation. Abraham Lincoln went to church quite often and he would sit in the congregation on many occasions, but sometimes he would sit in the pastor's office just off of the platform where the preacher was in a smaller church than this, of course. And he would be off to the side and he would, could sit there with the door open about a foot and he could see the preacher from sort of a profile view and he would sit there and listen to the sermon. He didn't want to sit out in the congregation, did not want to be disruptive or maybe for, for security reasons, I don't know. But he was, this Sunday he was sitting there watching the preacher. His aide was with him. And when the sermon was concluded, the service was over, uh, the president left and went back to the White House. And his aide uh, said, uh, asked him a question. He said, Mr. President, what did you think of the sermon? He said, uh, good sermon. It was a good sermon. Well prepared, well delivered. Good sermon. But it wasn't a great sermon. And the aide said, well, why was it not a great sermon? And the president said, because he didn't ask us to do something. Any sermon that doesn't say to me or to you, to the preacher as much or more than anybody here, what are you going to do with this truth? And this person, Jesus Christ, what are you going to do? And then finally, his sermon was Christ-centered. Christ-centered. All preaching must be Christ-centered. We're not the message. He's the message. Christ-centered preaching. I'll tell you a quick story. Happened back in the 40s when we have those youth revivals. It was a summer of about... 47 or 48 and um, Richard Brannan and I were preaching Ross Coggins was leading the music and we had a big revival in Odessa, Texas out in the park there, city park and we're having two or three thousand people a night. Summertime in Odessa Have you ever been to Odessa in August? Let me tell you, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego left town, it was so hot in there they went to the mountains. Well, we had services every night, but every day, uh, Richard and I and Ross would break up and go to different churches in the community and have a service in the morning, about 10 o'clock or so in the morning, Bible study and fellowship and prayer, and then we'd go visiting. Well, a group of high school kids wanted me to go with them to see some of their friends down at the uh, uh, equivalent of a, of, uh, a drive-in, uh, kind of where your hamburger place or something. And uh, so... I was all excited about it. They said, we've had some people coming to the meeting, some of our friends, and we want you to go with us to talk to them. I said, sure, that'd be terrific. Well, when the service was over, we were making our way to get in the car to go out there to talk to the friends of these kids who'd been coming to the revival, high school kids. And uh, an older lady stopped me toward the back. She said, Brother Fanning, I hate to interrupt you, but would you, would you mind coming down to my neighbor's house, the lady that lives next door to me, and talk to her about becoming a Christian. Said she makes fun of me and of the Bible and said I've prayed for her for years and we've been neighbors for years. And she makes fun of the Bible. She said I would just as soon believe Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs as to believe the Bible. She said, would you come down and talk to her? 
Now, I have to tell you the truth. I always want to tell you the truth. I didn't want to go. I did not want to go. I thought this was the primary opportunity to go over and talk to those young people and try to get them to know the Lord and have decisions made and had a car ready to go and we're going to go see them. And also, if I went with this woman, I'd have to walk about three blocks down Purgatory Boulevard. It was so hot. Uh, um, and I thought, I, I don't want to do that. My spirit was not very willing. But I felt like, yeah, I never heard God speak in an audible voice, and he didn't speak to me then, but I just felt like, Bugner, go with that woman. Well, we walked about three blocks, wiping the perspiration off of our brow all the way. And with every step, my spirit got worse. <laughs> more impatient. Here I am going to go down and try to argue with a woman who believes the Bible, believes the Bible is like believing Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Well, we got down there, walked up on the front porch, had no roof on it, just a slab there, and you walked up a couple of steps, and there was a screen door. You remember the world of screen doors? Well, there's a screen door there, unair conditioned house, door open, but the screen door was there. Knocked on the door, and a woman came to the door, and of course she knew her neighbor, and her neighbor said, I want you to meet Brother Fanning here. He's a young preacher who has come to preach in this revival, and I want him to come and talk to you about uh, being a Christian. She said, you know, I'm not, the woman responded, I'm not interested in that. Uh, I appreciate you, but I, I don't want to do that. And then she repeated, I guess for my benefit, you know, as I've told you, I just soon believe Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is to believe the Bible. And so I felt like, well, this is just a dead-end trip. And we were standing there, and I couldn't even see the woman because the sun was hitting that screen door. You know how it will sometimes, sun hits the screen door, and you can't even see through it? Well, I kept trying to find her back there. I never could see her. I could hear her mumble every now and then. And, and I, we were getting nowhere. And I said, well, look, uh, I, I, I didn't come down here to argue with you. I don't want to do that at all. But we're both real hot. We've walked all the way in the church. And would it be okay if we came in and just sat down get a glass of water? She sort of reluctantly said, well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and she unlocked the screen door like we were going to break in, I guess. She unlocked the screen door. And we went in and sat down. She brought us each a glass of water. And I've never seen so many children in one house in my life. A couple of them were hers, and then all the other kids in the neighborhood seemed to be there. And they were going through that house like a tornado. And I thought, well, what do I have to lose? This woman's already lost. Um, I'll try to talk to her. And I couldn't get anything done. Those kids running through and the noise and all. And I, I prayed just quietly in, in my heart. I said, Lord, if you want me to talk to this woman, please get these kids out of here. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they went out the front door like a tornado. Well, that got my attention a little bit. So I started trying to talk with her. She was cold and indifferent and hostile. The lady next door friend that had walked me down there was sitting next to her on the couch. I said, well, I'm going to leave and I'm going to walk on back to the church, but uh, would it be okay if I read a few verses of scripture? She said, well, I told you. I said, I know you, you soon believe Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs as to believe the Bible, but uh, can I read a little bit anyway and then I'll, I'll leave? And she said, yes, guess so. 
So I really didn't read so much as I just opened my Bible and started quoting scripture because I was very active in navigators and the memorizing of scripture, which I still endeavor to do. But she, I started quoting scripture for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, 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 not one. For by grace are we saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For God sent not his, did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. For God so loved the world, on and on and on. I just kept kind of flipping through the Bible and just quoting verses of scripture. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He that believeth in me shall never die. On and on and on. For about five minutes. And then when I looked up, no response from either one of them. When I looked up, the woman who was so hostile had her hand up to her face like this. And tears were literally dripping off of the end of her elbow. And the woman beside her took her hand and held her hand. And I said, are you accepting Jesus as your personal Savior? She nodded. She couldn't even speak. She nodded, yes. And I said, can we pray? Yes. We got on our knees and prayed. I tell you, it wasn't nearly as far back to that church as it had been coming down there. And I said, Lord, I went down there with the wrong spirit, wrong attitude, nothing good about what I went down there to do. But you used the Bible, the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword to speak to her which just proves that God can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. As Sam Jones said, even when our spirit may not be what it ought to be, but the spirit of that woman, that next door neighbor, that praying neighbor, that concerned neighbor was the instrument of God's Holy Spirit to bring that woman to Christ. And that night, I didn't know this until the night came, when her husband came home from work, she told him about how she had accepted the Lord. She got her two children together, and as a family, they all accepted Christ. And that night, when the invitation was given in the city park, all four of them came walking down the aisle, accepting Christ as their personal Savior. The power of God, through His Word, will change your life. Will you let Him do that today? Maybe for the first time? Say, I accept him. I've accepted him in my heart, but I've never made it public. Make it public today. Today's your day. I just know someone is here that's going to say, I do love him. I do trust him. And I want to be publicly identified with him and with his people. I really believe there's some folks here that are Christians that feel like I ought to get the flame in my spirit reignited. I need for the wind to kind of stir up the fire that's become a kind of ember in my soul and to blow it into newness of life and fresh fire. Maybe you want to come and kneel and rededicate your life, return, say something to me if you desire, or to come be a part of this church, the kind of church we've tried to describe it to be. We want it to be like that church in the first century. For only a first century church will make a difference in the 21st century. God leading you to come. You, you know it, some of you. You're nervous, I know that. You're hesitant, I understand that. Don't wait till the second verse. Don't even wait till the second note. Just start immediately. The first step, and after that, it's downhill, and you'll make your way here to the front. 
on angels' wings. Nobody leaves except those moving in this direction. Lord, may the wind and the fire touch our hearts this morning. For Jesus' sake, amen. Stand quietly, reverently, and prayerfully as some come. Come on.